all back together again. Again, welcome to Handle Pod. episode 420 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined in English Dan's living room by English Dan. Good evening. Andres. Hello, welcome. And Santi. Hi guys. Uh, case numbers are low again. I'm slightly less frantically busy this week than I have been for the last two or three weeks. Uh, so we're able to record in person again, which is lovely. Uh, and we're the only going thing is we to... have to be quiet because now we're sleeping. Yes, which is a bit tricky. <laughs> Keep it to a whisper, lads. So what has happened since we last recorded in the league, not the league, of course, huh? the League Cup. Uh, Which is kind of, it counts as a league it's title. Be a league, yeah. So yeah. It, it doesn't count, is it? It, yeah. it does. This, this time it does. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, the previous time should have counted as well, but still. No, it shouldn't have done, and this one shouldn't either. If they're going to call it the Copa de la Liga, then it shouldn't count. Uh, if they want to give it as a league title, then they should call it the league. But thank you for telling me that it counted as a league title this year, because I didn't realise that. Well, to um, rectify the Colón stuff, I think. Yeah. Mm. So, it turns out that the champions of this will, contrary to what I told our Patreon supporter Bill when I met up with him for a drink and a couple Oof. of games at pool on Monday, will be able to call it's themselves be champions of Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately he didn't buy me a drink. Uh, <laughs> I mean for Patreon, so, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, the results from the last round of matches were Central Cordoba nil, Rosario Central one in the uh, Clásico de los Centrales, Unión <laughs> one, Platense nil, uh, Barracas Central two, Aldo Civi one, Barracas Central finally getting off the mark there, Gimnasia two, Argentinos two, San Lorenzo nil, River one, Patronato nil, Sarmiento one, Racing one, Tacheres nil. Did I say Patronato nil Sarmiento 1 or Patronato 1 Sarmiento 1? No, Patronato nil Sarmiento 1, I think. Yeah, Thank you. That's, that, that, that's that was the result, but <laughs> something in my head then when I was reading Racing out they made me think I'd attributed a goal to Patronato without meaning to. Uh, so, just for clarity's sake, those last two again. Patronato the only way Patronato is going to score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patronato nil Sarmiento 1 and Racing 1 Tacheres nil. Newell's 4. Atletico Tucumán nil, Banfield two, Defensa y Justicia three, Boca nil, Huracán one, Vélez one, Estudiantes one, Godoy Cruz three, Independiente three, Arsenal two, Lanús two, and Tigre one, Colón nil. Several high-scoring games, aren't they? And one that should have been high-scoring, were it not for really shit linesmen. <laughs> Uh, do you want to tell us about that one, Dan? I'm guessing that's the Racing game. I didn't catch an awful lot of football this weekend. You didn't watch Racing Tacheres? You don't know what you missed. Uh, <laughs> no, a really good performance again from Racing. Uh, that's three in a row they've had that have been pretty good. Um, the 3 0 win over Argentinos Juniors. Afterwards, the um, the draw against River, coming back from 2 0. And now this one, one thanks to a 
goal in the first half by Gabriel Lauci. As I said last week, he's looking brilliant. Um, rolling back thought? the years and kind of years that he didn't even have when they were his years. <laughs> um, he's rolling back somebody else's years. <laughs> which is which is why this week I decided to dub him the the Argentine Benzema. Just getting better with age, with every uh, passing week. Like why? I think you, you. I think you've fallen short. He's uh, the Argentine Lewandowski at this point. Very possibly, yeah. yeah. But he participates in the play a bit more than Lewandowski. So well, I'd scored, say it's Benzema, really. Van de Oche will say that he scored more goals than Lewandowski to Tacheres. Indeed, yes, absolutely. Um, no, it was a really nice move um, to put it away, and it was kind of befitting of the game because Racing were just on top. The entire way through, um, I think in the first half alone, Alcia then missed a fairly easy chance to show why he is only Benzema and not Messi. Um, Enzo Copetti also fell over his own feet with the goal gaping, I think that's the kindest way to say it. Uh, and then in the second half, it was a linesman's turn to have a nightmare because Racing had Two goals from Tomas Chancalay, who came on right at the end of the first half for Edwin Cardona, who, uh, who got injured again. He's not having a great time of it with injuries. This says halfway through the first half, 24 minutes. Right. That's how much you were enjoying the first half, it just flew by. <laughs> I mean, it's technically in the second half of the first half, so let's say that. Is it? No, yeah, it's barely in the yeah. second half. Yeah. I couldn't remember the, um, the exact timings, but yeah. The point stands that he did come on for Carrona and Carrona isn't having the best time of it as of late with injuries. Um, and Changala finished two brilliant um, moves and they were both called back for offside when they shouldn't have been, um, which was annoying. And I think Racing in the second half also missed another chance, so I'll go out on a limb and say it was Copetti again. And possibly should have had a penalty, but I don't think penalty probably wasn't that clear cut but the goals definitely should have stood so it was a 1-0 which uh, was really flattering on Tacheres who almost didn't oh. have the kick they were they were really bad I don't know exactly what happened I think we mentioned it last week right um, about how they just kind of fallen off a cliff since coming third in the league and, and losing Medina the, the Uruguayan coach we did mention it yeah they're we now, did yeah. they're now second bottom uh, in group one only Jesus. Patronato have only standing points. on Patronato's lip head yes below San Lorenzo on goal difference wow um, but you have to be below San Lorenzo on goal difference as well indeed <laughs> but I wouldn't take anything away from Racing as well I think um, you know you've all been listening to me these past six seven months or so and you can attest that I've always been uh, fairly, I wouldn't say ardent, but I've, I've defended Gago when a lot of... A cautious fans, optimist. Yeah, it's been like a cautiously optimistic defence saying, like, he could do something here. And I know a lot of Racing fans were, were calling for, a head, for his head after you know, taking over that, that horrible squad which just had its confidence shattered under Pizzi and especially all of that. And... And you can see this is what Gaga wanted all along. Like he's got the idea um, of what he wants to play, and it's coming together. He's found a set of team now, which really helps. Um, as I say, Alch has been been keying it, and also a couple of other guys. Lolo Miranda has actually started to play football, which is good. And even Moreno in in the middle too. So they've actually got a midfield and attack, which 
are passing the ball to each other and, and just getting into the area. I mean, even against River, who are, you know, obviously the best team in Argentina, Racing probably have four clear-cut chances. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think that and if you're having, you know, four or five clear-cut chances a game, you're most likely going to win most games. So it's definitely looking good for Racing, I'm pleased to say. Although they're still not in the fucking playoffs. What would they have to do? <laughs> I, I think that the players have no, have no confidence in, in Gago because I think that, that when Gago arrived to Racing, not only the supporters thought, well, we are hiding a coach who had lost most of the uh, matches with Aldo Civi. And, and, and the players perhaps had some doubts also. Uh, now it, it it looks like they are more like uh, believing him and, and 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 having confidence in the way of play that Gago tries. I'm to not make. sure about that because there was an improvement as soon as Gago came in. The thing is, it came from such a low level of performance, mm. like subterranean level of performance under Uber there. Yeah. That even you know, ten percent better than that was still absolutely terrible. And, and most but importantly, you you were not getting results. And the results won't come in, and they were fairly unfortunate. But um, as I said, you know, as I said last year, like I felt that this team under Gago could go somewhere. And it's very early, of course. We're only five games in, and as I said, you're still waiting to get into the playoffs. I don't know what Racing have to do. Well, I think one of the things that you need to do really is just wait until Sarmiento have played some more matches. Because <laughs> Sarmiento are the team who are currently keeping Racing out of the playoff spots. Really? Christ. Really. Uh, and their results so far have been in... I'm just going to check that I'm not going back in time. No, I'm going forward in time. So in the order they played the matches have been a win over Atletico Tucumán, a draw with Banfield, a loss to Platense, and then wins over Union and Patronato. So... No offence to Union, of course, and we know that Platense started the season uh, very well, but they've got matches against... I mean, their very next uh, Copa de la Liga match is against Newell's. That's uh, a possible win. Four nil. I think Newell's mm. haven't it, looked it depends, you know, brilliant. It depends on which, which Newell's turn up. But, I mean, they, they've still got to play Newell's in a couple of weeks' time. They're away to Racing. Um, they've got to play Defensa Justicia still, they've got to play Argentinos still, who are decent on the day, and obviously, you know, towards the end of the group campaign, they're going to be at home to Ribera on the second last That game could round. be Lissandro Lopez's homecoming to Racing, unless... Exactly, was, yeah. 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 Well, I don't know if he's injured. Can you imagine if Lissandro Lopez was, it was, becomes the guy who keeps Racing from entering the playoffs? Oh, God. Don't even countenance I mean, the narrative, way. man. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not up for that narrative. <laughs> keep that narrative well out of my way. It's too beautiful to, for Dan to conceive of. Indeed. Um, too bittersweet. Yeah, he, he scored, didn't he, on his debut, I think. He's, yeah. He's, he scored the goal in the 1-0 win against Atletico. He was a chip. The first week. Do you remember? Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I do remember. Cause I, I was on holiday for that week, so that's why I have And no I had... Did he sign really, really, really early in the window for him? Yeah. Like almost as soon as last season was over. He it was him, yeah. basically known that he was going there because he wanted to be closer to his family. Yeah, and it was like yeah. the his hometown. Because so, when, when he scored yeah, that goal, I, I remember thinking that my, my immediate reaction when it went in was, God, I've completely forgotten. Like, I, I didn't realise he'd <laughs> signed for them. And then I something in the back of my head went, no, you did know he'd signed for them, but you'd forgotten it because it happened like two months ago. Um, but anyway... Uh, that's basically our racing around the playoffs. They're, they're on nine points, as are Newell's. They're one of two unbeaten teams difference. in the Copa Superliga. Uh, now, Boca have lost. 
No, eh, estudiantes a Tigre. Also. Argentinos, yes, argentinos right. haven't been on Argentinos. Oh, right. right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, Unión, Sarmiento, and Def so in order from second, third, fourth, Defensa Justicia, Unión, and Sarmiento are all on ten points, only one point ahead of Racing. Um, separated off, obviously themselves on goal difference. It's definitely the most competitive group by the looks of it. Like a lot mm. of teams picking up points there compared to the other group. Yeah. Defensive Justicia remain the team to watch if you just want to see goals and you're not bothered which team score them. Uh, they've now scored 12 and conceded 10 in their five matches after that 3-2 win that we mentioned a minute ago. Uh, or that I mentioned, sorry, when I was reading out the results away to Banfield. That one looked... I, I'm trying to work out which ones I saw of this because I definitely caught some of that match, but I can't remember what the score was and I didn't catch all of it. Um, I think I got the, the goal right before half-time and then the goal quite shortly after half-time. Possibly sounds about right, which were Banfield pulling it back from 2-0 down to make it 2-2, but the Fenter then managed a 90th minute equaliser through Agustin Fontana. Former Fontana. I was about to say, I want to say he's a former Banfield player. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but going back Jesus. to, uh, well, you know, to Dan's discussion of Racing against Tacheres, talking of 1-0 wins that could have been much more comfortable, uh, River San Lorenzo, Andres, was one of those, wasn't it? Well, uh, it was lucky for River that the rival was San Lorenzo uh, <laughs> because uh, it looks like uh, at this point uh, still is not playing at the level of uh, the league they won. Um, the squad they've got. Yes, uh, it's uh, the squad. There were some uh, or uh, several uh, signings and uh, now players that have been with some injuries, uh, but still it's like the the. The team itself is still trying to find themselves, and and uh, it's like they are doing the the minimum minimum enough to win, and uh, it's still well uh, good that they they can win when, when they are not playing that well. Um, and apart from that, the, when River plays perhaps six points, it's said it is said that they are not playing well because uh, it's like they have now a, a like a. Like minimum level that they should should yeah, play. They're being held to a higher standard than most yes. of the rest of the league because, I mean, as Dan said already, we know that they're the best team in the country. So and and against San Lorenzo, there was a problem with Julian Alvarez when they were doing the pre war the warming warming up warming up and uh, he had to to leave uh, not only not also the the, the 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 starting lineup also the the bench. So Ryan Romero was there, but he was like not prepared for mm. for for. Being in in the, in the uh, starting lineup with twenty minutes to go, uh, but uh, still uh, it was enough for River with minimum minimum effort to to to, to win as as San Lorenzo. I think is well. Uh, what can we add? Uh, well, they they were still they had a couple chances. They even had a penalty. Yes. Uh, so. And there was a fight between fight or discussion between Vita Fernandez and. Uh, Centurion, uh, yeah. who will be the, the one to take charge of the penalty, and I think that was per, uh, bad for for, for, for him, for mm -hmm. Fernandez, who of course missed it. Played, uh, he shot it awfully in the middle, to the middle, and while well, Armani uh, cleared the ball with his feet. Um, and apart, uh, until that point, I think it was all, all for River. Not being great, as, as I said, but doing, doing what it was. Uh, Necessary to, to, to get the, the victory. Only one nil. It was a short result. Uh, uh, they had a lot of chances, of course, missed. 
in fact, Pablo Diaz was the one who scored by via header uh, after a corner. So uh, they are still like trying to find the. As Gallardo said, sorry, yeah, as Gallardo said uh, last night when they defeated La Ferrer 5 nil for Copa Argentina, uh, that they are still fi trying to find the match to make that click or to to yeah. to like finally find the, the the rhythm and the play that they want to to say. Well, uh, we are the famous river. Mm. <laughs> They've got most of the year to play their way into it, really, given what they're aiming for, haven't they? Um, I was going to say something. San Lorenzo, by the way, are, I think, if I am not wrong, six points away from the relegation zone. So, uh, that... Wow. That's great, basically. Yeah. That talks wow. a lot about what, what San Lorenzo, uh, how San Lorenzo is not also playing the danger that they are... Yeah, into. but also if you take into account the fact that the league is expected to be reduced year after year after year, that means they are in some serious hurry to get results as soon as possible because I mean if not it, it will end up being a matter of time actually yeah, I think with, uh, with the way the promenios work it tends to when you've got the same number coming up as going down the guys coming up are at a disadvantage compared with those at the bottom of the table or you know I mean if they start fantastically then they're at a big advantage well, look at the so they're mid-table but yeah when you've got more going down than up, it, it means that that advantage is kind of wiped out a bit. No, well, they're all right this year. They're like 15th, um, 28 points clear of Padronad. Oh, with the same number of games played? Uh, yes. Cool. No, that doesn't matter, I think, in the prom promedios. And Barracas are there, so it's only going to be one team to, to go down. Yeah, I think it's next year. Course, next yeah. year will be the big one. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Points. I think two teams go down this year. Two teams, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be and four I mean, in 2020. The obvious, the obvious uh, prediction is for Patronato and uh, and Barracas to go down. But uh, to be fair, if San Lorenzo can't turn it around, at least get an average team to not be the one yeah, of the worst. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're going to get relegated in right a year away. And a half, they deserve to go down. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not saying they're going to get relegated right away. But as the league keeps reducing its teams. That means, I mean, it's gonna go get closer and closer and closer. Perhaps it was only the points, but uh, yes, the teams that were promoted, of course, have less uh, games divisions apart uh, from the points they, they have to. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, a, a lot of San Lorenzo supporters, uh, I think that they, they lost to River and they, they compared uh, this moment of San Lorenzo to the one that River had previous to. to to, to uh, getting relegated, yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, something. Independiente. I mean, they're eventful. We, we've just talked about two one-nil wins. Do you wish that you could be talking about a one-nil win as well, or will you or take entertainment in general? You got? Uh, look, just to remind listeners who can't remember the results as I read them out at the start, <laughs> they they drew three-three away to Godoy Cruz, and I mean a draw against Godoy Cruz. So result. what if I told you that despite it being a game that ended 3-3, it was a really awful game? Well, they were football. like... I can believe it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm looking at the stats and the stats say that Godoy Cruz had four shots on target and Independiente had five shots on target. So <laughs> both teams scored more than half of their shots on target. Um, so you, yeah. you, can, you can give yourself an idea, I think. Uh, the fact of the matter, I think, is that... Um, 
I think I have to give credit once again to Eduardo Dominguez for actually identifying what, what was going wrong in, with Independiente at that point and being quick enough to make the right changes to get Independiente back in the game. Actually, when you know that uh, Mendoza is not uh, not Godoy Cruz being a bogey team, but Mendoza is like a bogey city for Independiente to play. They have like a, a historically awful record playing in Mendoza. I don't think they ever won a game there. What? But, but Godoy Cruz has been really bad for a couple of years. Yeah, but Independiente have never... Beaten them That's in Mendoza, incredible. or 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 if they done so, they beaten like only once or twice. Yeah. I mean, wow. you can look up for you can look up the the right statistic, but I yeah. think in the Bay they have either never won at Mendoza or won once or twice. It's like a notorious bogey city for them. We're talking about history, not just in Godoy Cruz's current. No, his They've been playing Godoy Cruz for like fifteen years only. So. Right. I mean, it's not. It's they not, have um, played perhaps once or twice to Argentinian juniors when they play in Mendoza, but. I mean, the, I I remember even a game against uh, against uh, Atlético Tucumán in Mendoza, which they also lost. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, but generally, I think um, I have to get credit for Independiente because thrice they were uh, in disadvantage, and thrice they came back. Uh, even if the goals, I think, were all of them pretty avoidable. Um, most of them came from lapses in concentration in the def- in the defense. Uh, they lost the man, or in the case of uh, of the, I think it was the second goal. It was a, a pretty bad penalty, I think, uh, from Bakia, the young goalkeeper who otherwise has otherwise been actually pretty good. The penalty was their third goal. Oh ah, yeah, sorry, the third goal. Uh, I think Bakia was otherwise pretty who is solid. Where does he come from? Uruguay. I mean, apart from Uruguay, yeah. yeah. But more specifically, uh, he has. Uh, I mean, he's been uh, he's been in the Binti for a long, long time, and he's long been uh, touted to be in the Binti's yeah. goalkeeper of the future. There were actually calls for him to be um, instated as the number one goalkeeper back when um, Campagna left, and back when Sosa wasn't uh, re- his contract wasn't uh, renewed. I honestly thought he got the job just because it's obligatory these days for Independiente to have a Uruguayan keeper. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny because, well, Bakia has been in Independiente for a long time and he's been the reserve goalkeeper for several years before so, this. So they signed him from Peñarol under 19s in July 2018, according well, to this quite unreliable yeah. sometimes. And now. he's been the under 20s Uruguay goalkeeper as well, the starting goalkeeper for them. But uh, it's funny because uh, actually. Independiente are on the brink of sending Milton Alvarez, their historic number two goalkeeper, out on loan to Sarmiento, which means that if he leaves the club, Independiente will have all three of the goalkeepers, Sosa, Bakia, and Segovia, Uruguayan. So it's a, it's a long tradition at this point. Yeah. And it's incredible because uh, also Independiente has a tradition of this, the late, uh, this, these years that to... to have a good goalkeepers form in, in, at Independiente. A yeah. good goalkeeper basically making up for how bad the defence is. It's yeah, pretty much. Ever, ever, since, uh, ever since uh, Russo Rodriguez lost his spot to, to Campania, that's yeah. pretty much been the case. Uh, and that's since early 2016. So, yeah, I think apart from um, having said that, I think he was, pretty, he was pretty slow when coming off his line in the penalty, that it was a, an easy call for the referee to make. 
And having said that, the, when I said before that a lot of the Dominguez was quick enough to make the right changes to, to put Nerebiti back in the game, that came specifically in the form of two players. One of them was uh, Rodrigo Chila Marquez, who has been, I think, now that Velasco has left the club, he's certainly the most uh, promising youngster in the Benito has to has to, to their favor. I think even, even more so that uh, Alan Soñora, I would say. He's, uh, he's also like similar to Velasco, um, really um, tricky, uh, slight winger, I would say, or second striker. Uh, and the other one was surprisingly, and making his debut, his, his scoring debut, Leandro Venegas. The, the, this the one who stumbled with the ball. Exactly. <laughs> the one who, well, it was uh, the, the star of that comical, comical clip against Boca. Actually chimed in with a goal and an assist. Would you believe it? And uh, would you also believe it when Independiente play with a striker, they actually, and guess what? You won't believe that, they score goals. <laughs> they score goals when they play with a striker. Who would have thought? <laughs> it's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> yeah, the thing is, uh, well, they didn't have a striker who could score goals before him, and now they have one. Uh, so I think um, that's why he said that uh, maybe this game can work as a, as a way for Dominguez to know his team better and to trust these guys and maybe, just maybe, find something of a balance for this still pretty poor squad to get something out of some games, I would say. Mm. Uh, so from one match in which one of the stars was a Uruguayan that uh, Dan hadn't previously heard of, to another which I'm kind of guessing about whether Dan's heard of this guy before this match or not, but um, <laughs> the scorer of the only goal in the Bombonera was Matias Cocaro, who I'd never heard of before. The best moustache in Argentine football. I mean, he's, he's running Salinas pretty close, right? Is Salinas still in Argentine football? Is he? I don't think he was so. at Sarmiento, but I don't know. No. I, I Everyone ends up at Sarmiento. <laughs> He had a proper like tango singer. It's like when your parents yeah, you, so does they're sending their dog to a farm in the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but, how's um, this guy doing? Oh, he's playing in Sarmiento. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. But anyway, yeah, this this young man, young man, yeah, young man, not particularly young football player. He's 24. Um, he's pretty young. Cocaro, who signed fairly recently, I think, from Montevideo City. Uh, apparently, spent the second half of last year at Huracan on loan from Montevideo. Yeah, City. I remember him. But Impossible to verify <laughs> since none of us watched any other no, games exactly. if we could uh, humanly but avoid it. I'm going to do the correct thing, of course, and refer to Montevideo City from now on as Torque, which was their original name and what they would be called if they hadn't been bought by the City Football Group. But you know, you you know who they are now. Uh, there's no need to doubt they are the team who are neoliberal pigs, in, as I saw on one the, banner in Uruguayan football. Yeah. Are they still in the Libertadores, or have they been knocked out? Uh, I think they've been knocked yeah, out. I think they got knocked out, yeah. I'm not sure if they got out the Suramericana now or if they're just out of it. Anyway, that's irrelevant because he's now playing football Rakan and he scored in the Bombonera uh, 70 minutes in to what turned out to be a 1-0 win for Huracan in the Bombonera. It felt feels like quite a long time. It's perhaps not the most surprising statistic, uh, if I'm right about this, since Boca last lost at home. Yeah. Um, Actually, it's quite a long time since Boca last lost. Just looking at their results, it's the first of the season. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they haven't that the results have been brilliant as well. Oh, okay. So their last their last defeat was one 0 away to Independiente, of course, in November. Twelve games, uh, as Mattarella said in conference, press conference, that complaining that the media didn't 
marked that, that the, yeah. the Boca hadn't lost for 12 games. Uh, and their last home yeah. defeat was about a month before that uh, to Gimnasia uh, in, on the 30th of October. And I, I think that Bataglia has, has a point to an extent, right? Definitely... Yeah, but look when, at the, look at those Boca, look at those games. Look at look at who who they played against. And look at who they didn't get wins against. And, and I mean, that's I'm, I'm that's a different that. story. I've got a theory for you, Sam. If you um, if you'll indulge me, do you think he's um, he or Boca, perhaps better said? Um, are they falling into the Solskjaer trap? Yeah, you know, very prestigious, loved figure comes in, gets a temporary boost because he's so admired. Club decides to stick with him, and then he it kind of turns out that he doesn't really know all of the ins and outs. I mean, they've lost one match so far. I know, I know, but they haven't under him. I mean, they've played. Right. He wasn't manager last time they lost, was he? Uh, in November, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah, he's been there for a while. Yeah, constant. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, do you see? I mean, Some so of the same, obviously, without all the scandals and booting people out of um, training by the sit their ass and and all that. I, sorry, is that something Solskjaer did or Batalia? Batalia, now oh, with Armendra. Yeah. Um, he got kicked out of training because they almost came to blows. No, so I'll, I'll, I'll continue with my point first yes, and then I'll address yes. that. My, my point was that Boca do, you know, perhaps the, the press don't sort of praise them when they go on a decent uh, run of results to quite the same level probably the same with River as well but that's because obviously those two teams are expected to win the vast majority of their games yeah so locally like, against Sturakan it's not really um, that surprising you know, 12 matches unbeaten for a team of Boca's size and when some of those matches are like Torneo de Verano one of them if I'm remembering correctly was a draw with Tacheres in the Copa Argentina that they then won on penalties so it goes down as a win for you know the statisticians but it wasn't you know if you're going to manage a, a club of this size, then you need to have a slightly thicker skin and just be accepting that you're going to get it in the neck when you lose. And oh, you're absolutely. Get praise yeah. that much when you win, right? Like, and, and he's not doing that. The thing that. is that uh, criticism has also come from Boca's own supporters, mm. who are yeah, well, in yeah. general pretty unhappy with, not, I think, uh, the manner in which Boca play, his style, uh, Bataglia's also um, squad management, the fact that stuff like uh, the Almendra and uh, you know Varela situations keep happening the fact that uh, Boca have pretty much swept under the rug all the Bija stuff you know mm. and I think they like off the field as well Boca just generally for every part of the club just has a problem with not shutting the fuck up and feeding the media lines because they just seem to Revel in this circus. There's always stuff coming out about Boca, and there's never anything in the in the papers about River. Like this guy doesn't like this guy, and I know a lot of it's got re- about results because a winning team you tend not to question it. But mm. it just seems like um, Boca got more leaks than than a leaky sink. They really need to just put a, yeah, and I mean put a sock in it. Really, it doesn't the, help anyone. You know, twenty four hour news cycle. You can't be feeding and this kind of stuff like fights in the training ground then Benedetta comes up and talks crap about his I think actually teammate Benedetta has probably been the most uh, sensible man to have talked in the, in, 
in that situation, I but think. But no one needed well, to talk about it. Well, when you're able to say that, then you've got a problem. Yeah. yeah. No one needed to talk about it. You don't talk about these things. Just keep them shut just keep them shut up. It's certainly, like, more of their internal club politics seem to be yeah. just constantly all over our, as you say, 24-hour news cycle, which will sound faintly ridiculous to anybody listening to this in the UK or, yeah. or the States. It's not been too much. <laughs> I've experienced the fact that all of us with cable have got, like, nine or ten sports channels on yeah. 24 hours a day and are desperate for content to fill, and they're always talking as you say, at least one or two of them at any one given moment about what's gone wrong with Boca in training yeah. today. Or the incredible <laughs> thing is that the Consejo de Football, or that thing that they built, is uh, uh, they are all former players, so and they treat the players so well. Uh, of course, they perhaps des- deserve that treat, but uh, 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 it, 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 that is the, the incredible thing, because they are not uh, company owners or thing. Or, or they are uh, from another planet and, and they don't know how to manage a club. They are former players and if they, they have players in their, in their squad. And that is the thing that uh, you always are waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Yes, a counter to that, uh, well, there's been all this criticism that uh, Riquelme and uh, his, the rest of the Consejo del Fútbol has been levelled, well, it has been levelled at them in the sense that uh, it's... Uh, it's the fact that maybe the f- even if they are some some of Boca's best ever players or most iconic, that doesn't necessarily mean that they make, that they'll make good administrators or good uh, you know uh, directors of football. You know, you would need people with more nows or with a better um, notion of how to treat media or how to deal with certain. Economic yeah. or sporting it, situations. It feels which, a bit like they, some clubs sometimes look at when it goes right, as it, for instance, with Racing and Diego Milito, and, and go, you know, this is why we need to get in a, a sensible older player. And in fact, it's just that Diego Milito was a great footballer and also happens to be a very a really intelligent handy club person. Yes, exactly. Who recognises his own limitations and knows what he's good at and knows how to delegate well and yes. all the rest. And it doesn't occur to them that maybe actually what we need is to get somebody in who, you know, knows a bit about football but isn't necessarily a famous ex-player but who can run a club really well. And what's funny is that they they also used to have that kind of of personality and they let them leave and now he's thriving elsewhere and that was Nico Urdizo, who is actually now the director of football at Fiorentina who had an incredible... Um, couple transfer markets yeah. in the last few years. So, and he was previously previously there. Yeah, and, and that's my known. point. That's yes. my point. I mean, that's uh, the the fact that they had someone like that, and they let them go, and now they are not better off since then. And you know, we're guilty of this to an extent as well, because in years past, before you joined the podcast, Santi certainly. But you know, I think I at some point, and I'm sure I wasn't the only person, said that it would be nice if if clubs in Argentina full stop could be run by people who were as honest as Juan Ramón Riquelme mm. at the time was when he was yeah. first of all a very veteran player and then a recently very ex-player who wanted to go for Boca's presidency or vice presidency at some point but hadn't been yet and was sort of yeah, an ex- he was an excellent speaker and he still is exactly but I kind of wonder whether he's swallowed some of his own hype with what's happened since and mm. that brings us back to the question that Dan asked me about Solskjaer and how he compares with Batalia um, and I think that if that is what's going on, then it's been a very accelerated process compared with 
how it happened with Solskjaer. I mean, that always happens in Argentina football, right? Yeah. Uh, but also, the probably, times, uh, the, I think Boca still some really horrific showings away from the end game of that. Yeah. But he's also obviously got the you know one big advantage, which is that in the Premier League at the moment there are more teams oh, competing yeah. at and above Manchester United's level. Yeah, Boca in at, large part because Manchester United are horrically badly mismanaged. Obviously. Boca at fifty, sixty percent will still yeah. get a playoff spot in this league with. Four games to spare. Yeah, they, 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 won't, they will well, not miss out on the, the Copa Libertadores anytime soon. No, no that's no, what we mean. And, and if they do, then they really don't have any excuse. At the yeah. moment, they are fifth in their group, just like Racing in theirs. Uh, they've got eight points. Estudiantes top, although they've now lost their 100% record thanks to that 1 1 draw with Meles on 13 points. Uh, Colón have 10, Tigre have 9, Huracán have 9, and Boca have 8. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's early days, but it could be that kind of trap the Ole warning signs are there let's say yeah but if they'll change on the plus side you know they didn't just name another 60 odd year old manager who's been really good for them in in past decades they're trying to do something a bit more aggressive yeah but bring back Alfaro that's what I'd say yeah, but they've, they've also gone. Going, they've also, going, going, they've also gone that similar route as well before with Arroba and Barroso Quiloto. These these people that were when the case of Barroso Quiloto adored by Boca fans, hmm. and now Boca fans won't look at him in the eye. Yeah, you know. So that's that's also a. I think a the fear, logical I next think. step for Boca is a washed-up veteran <laughs> European. I can't believe. No. If it weren't for the Pesai's weakness, I'm sure well, it would have Maybe not necessarily now. an European, but, I, but I, I, would like, I would like to remind you that Luis Felipe Scolari, Scolari is still like, without oh, a club. European, but yeah. So yeah, but he has, he has managed in Europe before. So. Mm-hmm. Just say Mourinho's bound to be available. <laughs> <laughs> That's a match made in heaven. Boca and Mourinho. <laughs> can you imagine his excuses in front of the press? Why not Boca? Well, no, because no, he has yeah. been saying good uh, things for River and now he had to say, well, Boca, well, is Guardiola has also said that Phil Foden was the best player he ever managed. He says a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, Mourinho would be, not just the marriage of, of Mourinho and Boca, but just Mourinho and Argentine football. Mourinho, oh, Mourinho, I, Mourinho and the Argentine press. I, I cannot stand the man or the manager, <laughs> and I've been saying that since long before he ever went anywhere near my club. Right? I've always hated him for as long as I've been aware of who he is. But seeing him in Argentina would be pretty fucking entertaining for about three months before he started to just want to wish that somebody would take him out. Um, it would be various. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Estudiantes, by the way, who, as I just mentioned, no longer have that 100% record, but did manage to keep their unbeaten record going, uh, courtesy of a very late equaliser from Leandro Diaz, 1-0 down um, to Vélez from fire. about 12 minutes in, uh, to a goal from Lucas Hanson, who's also playing quite well from mm. what I've seen yeah. this season. Very good play. And they won last night against Everton, I think it was at Chile, the first play. Yeah, another late goal, yes. Yeah, and, they, they, and before that, they were able to uh, overturn the previous... Uh... Yeah, I mentioned that, actually, at the end of last episode. Oh, right, I right, right. In. So they, they won last week after we recorded 2-0 at home to Ardax Italiano, which, as Santi says, overturned their um, 1-0 deficit from the first leg to mean that they qualified for the third qualifying round of the Libertadores. And in the first leg of that, as Andres just said, they beat Everton de Viña del Mar in Chile. So they're playing all the Chileans, but... 
Well, yeah, they're, they're not sure. playing all the Chileans. They're playing, they're playing two Chileans in this qualifying campaign, um, and they have a one 0 advantage coming back to La Plata. Uh, the second leg of that is on the sixteenth of March, which is oh, it's Wednesday next week. But they've somehow got two matches between. Oh, they haven't because they're Copa Argentina. They look really solid, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, that gave Max out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I caught sure. most of the game against Vélez. I didn't actually see Vélez take the lead, but I caught most of the match after that. Uh, and a big chunk of their match last night. And yeah, I mean, last night I thought they were quite unfortunate to wait, need, need until like 90th, mm. 89th or 90th minute or something, whatever it was, before they got the winner. Because um, they should have been ahead way before them. And yeah. It, it's it's good. Beres look handy as well, but Estudiantes just look like a really solid. Yeah, Beres is even more the best Estudiantes teams. Yeah, yeah, and I remember making <laughs> exactly. the point. That's a cliche. And all the best Yalinski teams to dust off another cliche. Early in this top. Yeah, it's it's a match made in heaven, as we said before. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it really is, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Early in this podcast history, when the Estudiantes were, I think Baron was still just about banging about when we started. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember making the point that one of the things that they were, they were at the time one of the best teams in Argentina. Um, and just saying that one of the things, probably the thing that they were best at was just transitioning from defence to attack. When they win the ball back, mm. they were incredibly good. Partly because Baron was sitting at the base of their midfield and was able to put it on any single blade of grass on the pitch with his eyes closed uh, at I mean instantly from 30 yards inside their own half suddenly bang they're in the opposite touchline swinging across him and against Vélez it reminded me of that when they were chasing the game it was just mm. every time the ball got one back in midfield it felt like it was just right this is a counter straight away just launched very effectively not not pretty but kind of after a while it, it's, it's not boring to watch either yeah. because it, just they're just so good down, at doing it um, and it's, it's just relentless. Yeah, so quintessentially Estudiantes, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, with having an absolute shit house like Diaz scoring the goals as well. <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to take a half time break now, refill our glasses, and we'll come back in a few minutes' time. sure what we're going to talk about in this second half but one thing that uh, we should talk about is the from what we gather over here uh, you know the center of things uh, the, the, the quite visceral reaction that there's apparently been over in Europe feel free to correct us European <laughs> listeners uh, to Lionel Scaloni only endearing himself even further to the Argentine public by just trolling all of the European national teams by calling up their players. Um, the one that I can remember, for pretty obvious reasons, is Alejandro Garnacho, who was born in Madrid, and I believe has played youth football for Spain, but presumably has an Argentine parent, or his mother's Argentine, Argentine parent, yeah. um, because he's been called up. He now plays for Manchester United, which is why I, I remember him. Um, but there are various others, including Matias Soleil, who has actually been in a couple of call-ups, but I don't think he's yet got on the pitch for Argentina no. but for some you know he's been included in the list of oh he's doing this to piss us off because suddenly now he started doing it with players who were eligible for Spain 
So the Spanish media have picked it up. Yeah, and, uh, and also the, the Carboni brothers, who are the sons of okay. Ezequiel Carboni, the, one of the worst managers I have ever seen in my life. And they were born here, I believe. I know you, at least one of them was born here. Yeah, I think uh, both of them were born here, yeah. but they've represented Italy right. in the in the youth setup. I mean, Italy really don't have a leg to stand on if we're going to talk about yeah. no, historically speaking. Yeah, recruit not even that historically. Like Daniel Valdo, Franco Vasquez, well, Carbonesi. Well, they have three uh, Brazilians sure, in their current you. squad: yeah. Rafael Toloi and uh, João Pedro. Yeah, Italy. Is it four World Cups they've won? Yeah. 82 is the only one that they've won without an Argentine in their squad. Yeah. True. Just Great stuff. Even Gabriel Paleta, I think. Yeah, yeah, but he played it. He played it. <laughs> we'll give him. We'll give you that. He one. played back when Italy were. That's know, one cut to kind of redress the, the historical run, you know. injustice, I think. Yeah, Daniel Valdo as well. Let's yeah. be honest. He was great. He was just a fucking lunatic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with the fact that Italy. It, it would be really. Yeah. It would be really hypocritical from Italians to get pissed at us for calling uh, non players who weren't born yeah. in the country you know um, I'm trying to get a list up of the full preliminary uh, yeah, it's list. like 49 so so Scaloni what's happened is that Scaloni's put out the preliminary list for the matches against Venezuela and Ecuador which are the last two World Cup qualifiers and of course from Argentina's point of view they don't matter um because Argentina are in the World Cup already and they're like, guaranteed a top seeding, I think, because of the FIFA rankings from, is it this month or last month, are the ones that are being used for This the month's because of the... the on the 1st of April. Yeah. Um, so, the squad, I'm going to read the whole thing out because we might as well. Uh, Franco Armani, Juan Musso, Emiliano Martinez and Esteban Andrada, oh, and Jeronimo Rulli, he's called up five goalkeepers. Um, None of them is Walter Benitez, still. No, for some reason. Uh, Gonzalo Montiel, Nahuel Molina, Juan Foyt, Lucas Martinez Cuarta, Germán Petzela, Nicolás Otamendi, still, Cristian Romero, <laughs> Lisandro Martinez, Neuen Pérez, Nicolás Tagliafico, and I guess arguably Marcos Acuña. Um, are the def- actually, where does Franco Caraboni play? Because he might be a defender for a while. Inter, yeah. On the pitch. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing he's a defender. I think he's right. the, so only, the only defender of the seven. And Franco Caraboni have been called up for the defenders. Uh, midfielders Leandro Paredes, Guido Rodriguez, Rodrigo de Paul. I mean, no surprises there to, for any of those. Ezequiel Palacios, Manuel Lancini. Um, who's only been called up a couple of times, I think, hasn't he? I think he hasn't been called up uh, since uh, he tore his ACL. Was he not in the last? No, I think oh, he was injured. He wasn't, yeah. No, 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 he was ah. just not called. Giovanni Lo Celso, Roberto Pereira, Emiliano Buendia, Alejandro Gomez, Nicolas Gonzalez, Lucas Ocampos, Alejandro Garnacho, uh, Alexis, Ma- Alexis McAllister. Indeed, Alexis McAllister, uh, Nicolas Paz. Tiago the son of another former player, Nicolas Paz, yeah. Pablo, yeah. Uh, former defender who played in the 98 World Cup. Mm. World Cup. Um, Tiago Geralnik, Valentin Carboni, who is, um, where's he gone, what's his name, Franco's brother? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Cousin, yeah. Um, Angel Di Maria, Luca Romero, which is a name that I think some of our listeners will probably be familiar with, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned him, at least in passing before. Um, and Matthias Soule, who I 
just mentioned, so he should be familiar to you, at least you've heard of him before, because I just talked about him a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and forwards, Lionel Messi, Paolo Dybala, Lautaro Martinez, Joaquin Correa, Angel Correa, not brothers, Julian Alvarez, Giovanni Simone, Simeone, not Simone, and Lucas Boche. What the hell is Lucas <laughs> I'm sorry, but for me personally, that's a big controversy there. He's Lucas been really Boche. good. He has yeah. been really good. I mean, for that match, you could have just called Neil Mopé. Well, she wasn't going to be called up for Spain, I think. No, I'm in a WhatsApp group, uh, a football trivia WhatsApp group, and one of the other guys in there is an English guy who lives in Spain and and has been talking. He's mentioned a few times that Lucas Bochet is on fire this season. And I remember saying to him a couple of months ago, this is so bizarre to read as somebody who remembers... When Benito signed for Boca, Boca, Bochet was the uh, maximum goal scorer for Elche with six goals. Mm. And Benito with had two, uh, so well. Oh, if, if that's on fire, but perhaps now I think he's got more. He's got yeah. more since he's been a good form recently. Yeah. Um, so anyway, several of those players, as we've said, are um, not uh, Argentine. Or well, they are Argentine, obviously. But in in the view of the Spanish press, they're not Argentine. Uh, Matias Sule is Vélez Sarsfield product and now plays for Juventus and. As we've said already, it's been called up before for Argentina. Luca Romero uh, came up through Real Mallorca, to give them their Spanish name, Real Mallorca, um, and now plays for Lazio. Apparently, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, he actually uh, he was he's the youngest player in the history of La Liga. <coughs> yeah, he made his debut when he was 15 against Real Madrid. Oh well, I missed that somehow, um, but. We had heard, but I mean, he's not a particularly surprising one because they've been talking to him for really quite some yeah, time. He was born in Mexico. For Argentina. Um, so he's been eligible for Mexico, as something just mentioned. Uh, Spain, because he's lived in Spain since he was two. And Argentina, because both of his parents are Argentine. Similar case as Giovanni Reina will be, but Giovanni Reina uh, mm. chose the United States. Yeah, right? yeah. and also uh, well, uh, Romero's parents well his father was also a former footballer yeah. Diego um, I think his name is from what I can gather Romero like ever since somebody first asked him which country he wanted to play for has always been quite open about I want to play for Argentina yeah and he played for the other 17s as well so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the others are as we've said Franco and Valentin Carboni are brothers they are 18 and 17 respectively uh, they are it says here they're sons of El Kelly Carboni so I like them already um, but I don't think they're related. And they were Lanús youth players until yeah. they moved to Italy, where they played first of all for Catania, later on for Inter. Um, also, uh, his father, their father's former team, Catania. I think he's still there. I think he's a reserve or a youth coach now. Really? Yeah, hence them signing for them, I think. Yeah. Uh, Tiago was at some point. He's here, and, and both sons are, are, are in Italy. Oh. No, I'm saying ah. Ezekiel's in uh, Catania again now. Ah, okay. yeah. Tiago is a River youth um, product. As I think I saw a tweet from our friend River in English a couple of days ago saying that 12 of this squad are River youth products um, who moved to Spain a while back on a free transfer. I never fully understood what this patria potestad is because... People only seem to start talking about it since I stopped writing about football. No, it's been around for a while. It basically says that if um, your family need to move for extra footballing reasons, 
Um, oh, it's the FIFA rule that allows yeah, you to right. You're not to tied to like the club can't. Um, That's also how Sule did have a contract. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. Still have, yeah, they still haven't uh, had their contract signed on, and they can leave. Yeah. Yes. So obviously, there's a lot of room for abuse because I don't know a club can offer your dad a job, and that would officially, technically, yeah. not be a that's kind of what, transfer. That's kind of what happened with Messi. Similarly, yeah. yeah, I think that I think Messi came before they brought the new rules in, so it's a lot yeah. more fluid back then. It is. Um, he will turn 19 on the last day of this month, oh. and uh, there was an interview with Marcelo Gachardo when he was allowed to leave, like two years ago, in which Gachardo was quite pissed off about it. He said the club are letting too many of these young players yeah. go. I think River let uh-huh. like six youth players go in the same summer or winter transfer window, and he was the one that Gachardo actually named. Uh, Garnacho, as I've mentioned, was born in Madrid. He's 17 years old. He currently plays for Manchester United. And although I'm not one of those people who tries to, you know, get up at eight o'clock in the morning to watch the youth team play or anything, because I don't get up at eight o'clock right. in the morning. Or for, for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, from what I gather, he has been absolutely tearing it up. He scored a spectacular solo goal. If you're at all interested in watching under 18 yeah, solo goals, yeah, his uh, footage of his goals last week, last night. Yeah. Well. Oh, really? Yeah, Cup, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, that wasn't on at 8 o'clock, that was on about 5 o'clock, I think. Yeah, actually, um, there's, there's been a lot of videos uh, on social media making rounds of uh, his goals, which a lot of them are really similar, you know, like running like halfway through from from the halfway point uh, to the box to, to score He seems goals. very much a young Di Maria, that's like the vibes I'm getting from the three or four videos I've watched of him. Which as, uh, would as come really handy, actually, for for Argentina's purposes. Yeah. As a fan of the club he's contracted to, I hope he's got a bit more intelligence. But <laughs> no. judging, judging from the like two minutes total of highlights that I've seen of him, he seems to have the lungs at least, which is yeah. no bad thing. I mean, could he have less intelligence than Di Maria? Ah, come on! I mean, his, we, we, it, we've been through this. It's a philosophical question. Isn't we've been it? through I don't this. Know whether we've got time to battle through. Whether, <laughs> is this possible? Is this yeah. what you're saying? Um, <laughs> And the other one is Nicolas Pass, who is 17 years old, he's an attacking midfielder. As Santi mentioned, I think, um, I, I mean, Santi's definitely mentioned it, but I can't remember whether we were recording at the time. He is the son of Pablo Pass, and he plays for Real Madrid. Um, and it turns out that Teixe Sports, look at this, I've just come down on the link I've got, are just as surprised as me about Lucas Boschet. <laughs> um, yeah, he's uh, he's to- definitely Argentine and not controversial, he's just a... <laughs> A bit surprising. Yeah, Tuco Pereira as well was uh, also for me a surprise in the sense of what's been up to recently? Like, has he been in a form that warrants a national team return? I don't know. Perhaps it's <laughs> different to Lanzini who is showing. Yeah, La- yeah, Lanzini has been knocking on that door for a while and so has Gio Simeone. Lanzini is just a genuinely good player. He's just got horrendous luck with injuries. Yeah. And Gio Simeone is uh, not not only in some spectacular form, and he's actually I think I think third in the Serie A goal scoring uh, ranking, but also a different kind of striker to the one we we are used to, you know, with Lautaro and Joaquin Correa and even Julian. So that's a great option but for the bench as well. Playing for Cagliari. No, Hellas Verona. Ah, Hellas Verona. Well. Which also, which is also uh, for me at least, that's a plus. Yes, because I mean he's been a key part in the fact that they are in a mid-table side, which is not common for Elas Verona. I think we should um, clarify that, despite these players uh, getting called up now, they're probably not going to play. A, no, no, as far no. as I understand, the idea is um, for them to join training for a bit, probably get a picture with Messi, <laughs> a signed t- a signed shirt, 
and then they will hook up with Javier Mascherano in the under-20s, and they've got yeah. the idea, the notion of organising a couple of under-20 friendlies, because for the European players, if they're not uh, called up for the senior team, they wouldn't be obliged to travel. Yeah, because that's maybe another another reason why they're, why they're pissed off. They'd have to stay in Europe. Yes, so the under-20 friendlies would not tie them to Argentina, because obviously no. they've played under-20 friendlies for Europe. Indeed. Uh, and this is another way in which the rules have changed since Lionel Messi's day, because I'm, I, I was about to say famously, it's famous if you're somebody who's been to the Argentinos Juniors Museum more times than you can <laughs> count. Because if I you have, run in certain circles, it's famous. Uh, there was a friendly arranged against Paraguay under-20s back in the day when an under-20 cap would tie you to the senior national team uh, in order to ensure that Lionel Messi didn't decide to play for Spain instead and he was played at Argentinos. Um, and they have his... Actually, I don't know whether it's the, ma- the shirt he actually wore in that match, but they have a match signed, oh, match worn shirt, yeah. signed shirt from Lionel <laughs> Messi in their museum. Yeah, uh, and it, it's actually also like uh, really controversial as well because the moment uh, Garnacho, for example, uh, heard that he was being called for Argentina, he had no doubt to express his joy by sharing a picture of him when he was uh, either a toddler or a little kid wearing the Argentina shirt. Actually, he didn't. That was a fan page. No, 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 no. Uh, oh, I, I looked into it because I've been writing about this guy today. It was, uh, apparently he has a fan page. I don't know who, what, nuts. No, man, must have been, must have been created, you know, like a couple of days yeah. ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah. The fan page shared the picture and he put a like on it or whatever you do on Instagram. Yeah, but didn't he also <laughs> post it on the story? Didn't he also post it on his stories? I have no idea. I think I think it did. I think it did. There was this picture of him, you know, like a screenshot of one of, of one of the stories. I think it was I think it was him who posted it. Um, my point is my point is that once he was, wore an Argentina shirt. Yeah, so. yeah. But the thing is, he was so happy about it that he had no, uh, you know, second thoughts about switching international mm. allegiances. So this is not just a, a scheme from Scaloni. The fact is that the players are also willing mm. to play for Argentina more than, in this case, Italy and Spain. Uh, behind these I mean, one, of the, one of the things I will say is that a couple of the news reports that I have read, all from Argentine sources, made the point that Dan kind of made in passing or hinted at a, a few minutes ago, uh, which is that there's a pretty big chance that Scaloni and, and the other people who help him with the national team call-ups um, are using this as a way to say, look, if you want to play for Argentina, we can, you know, get your photo and, and some training time with <laughs> yes. Lionel Messi. I'm pretty I mean, sure that What young footballer doesn't want that? They've grown up idolizing the guy. So there's a, you know, surely, yeah, I mean, mm. they'll have the chance to come down and see the AFA's wonderful training facilities, which, of course, countries like Spain and Italy can't mm. possibly afford. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll therefore decide to continue playing for Argentina for the next decade and a half yeah. after Messi retires. I think, uh, I, I, mean, I think in, in general, I, I will say, uh, I will commend Scaloni for doing this because uh, it's very easy for this kind of players to, you know, to be overlooked for the Argentina And the AFA too, because this is a very, extremely rare case of AFA for planning. Yeah. Last year they and set I think up Scal- a whole department to scout and yeah. research and identify these people. Yes, but it's actually man. working. It's that's amazing. I, w- I will commend them for doing it because it pisses the RFEF off. <laughs> so therefore, it yeah. can't be a bad thing. But I guess the in the short medium term they're looking for they're looking at 
next year South American Youth Championships Youth World Cup assuming it's going to go Ireland mm. in 2023 like this will be the base of the team with some local youngsters as well who will, who will give that a go but it's also a sensible way just to, as, as you said Dan setting up the, the, the scouting thing it's a sensible way to approach this full stop with the way that world football has been going already for the last couple of decades and it's only going to get more, more and more so you know more globalised more Argentines moving abroad to seek other opportunities and having kids who you know a small number of them a tiny proportion are going to be good enough for the national team but some of them are going to be good enough for the national team so you may as well make sure that you're fully aware of where they are you know, and so they will sure be better prepared then, and I'm really sorry to say this, but they will certainly be better prepared to play for the national team than any youth player f- playing in Argentina. Yeah, I mean, maybe outside one or two Argentine clubs, but yeah. And, and this, has been a, this has been a well-done job, but also risky, because you can do this because Argentina is qualified for the World Cup. If Argentina wasn't, wouldn't have been qualified so far, perhaps the, this call-up for so young kids wouldn't be possible. Yeah, I mean, at least at this time of year, maybe they, they could have yeah. called them up for the year. Oh, well, I guess not, though, because then they wouldn't have been going out to Argentina and so on. Perhaps as far as not as a, a call-up, proper call-up for for national team. Mm. Of course, perhaps they won't play, but uh, anyway, they can do it because they have their, their, their qualification. Mm. Yeah, yeah there's, there's kind of a pitch for them to pitch them the, the chance of playing for Argentina, not just not the fact that they're yes. going to actually play. Just to sell them this uh, dream, yeah. I would say, for them to see all seven, all the same, just line up against Venezuela. No, nah, no, nah, because I mean that was also what what we <laughs> expected seven, or seven what we them on as late starts yeah. in, in that, and so they're tied. It's like oh shit. Yeah, the thing the thing is, if uh, if Sule didn't play in that qualifier against, uh, I think it was Colombia, that's because that's probably not going to happen, or at least, well, at least what I expect is for them to be at at least in the squad for one of the qualifiers. Having said that, you also have to take into account that um, Martinez, Buendia, eh, Romero and Lo Celso are all in that squad and they will not play either of those two games. Why not? Because they're suspended by FIFA, remember? Oh, okay. Because why of the Brazil they, game. Why have they called them up? Just to... Be are, they, with the squad. They, are they appealing the actually we have no, because this is the they're appealing, yeah. they're appealing. Right. yeah they're they're still appealing so they will call them up anyway but, um, but if the appeal's still going then they can play them, right because it wouldn't have a, a yeah but sentence. i think it would be but i think it would be safer if they just uh, sit these two games out because i think that's, they're inconsequential that's so. the thing. this is what I, I i posted on a message board that, that, that if i was in charge of the AFA, i would have just said yeah we're not happy with this but okay fine because Mm. By appealing, especially if you're gonna, you know, ultimately end up taking it to the court of arbitration for sport, who take fucking years to decide anything, mm. you're running the risk that, like, two days before the World Cup starts, the court of arbitration for sport says, "Okay, you're starting goalkeeper, and these other slightly less important but still quite vital squad players are banned for your first two group matches." Yeah, why, why not I, just have them well, serve the suspension now? Let's just not take it to to the World Cup, to. even for the for the friendlies, you know, against Brazil, and uh, the, this cup against Italy, and uh, maybe if we play a friendly against Portugal or Denmark, as it's been rumored, I think it would be important to play with our strongest squad possible because that's the best chance we will get to, you know, yeah, measure up against it's those. It's not teams. as important as playing your first two World Cup. Well, of course, I mean, yeah, yeah. The thing is, the 
things that even even uh, losing them for those games will also be not great. That's my point. No, no, totally. But I mean, I, I just I think they're running a risk. Oh yeah. Given yeah, that, yeah, yeah. given that the cast is not going to make a decision quickly, you're not going to get the decision back in like mid-April. Yeah, I, but I the think, thing is, I, I now think that I've was... said that, they probably will. But <laughs> they never have, you know, before the, the 2018 Libertadores final. Yeah. We, even though it was a surprise to nobody when it finally happened, I think River were officially awarded that like two and a half years after it had been played or something. They were like, yeah, River are the 2018 Copa Libertadores <laughs> champions. And everybody was like, yeah. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, but, uh, Good job. Yeah, but I think the, the fact that the reason they are appealing is for the Brazil game not to be played. Because uh, the rumors are oh. that FIFA will try to use this as an... It's a brilliant marketing opportunity to play games in Qatar in July. Yeah, because, because FIFA specifically is... said that the match was going to take place. Uh, no, actually, hang on, it was reported yeah. that FIFA had said the match was going to take place outside Brazil. And actually, FIFA didn't say that. No, no, no. They, they, they would say it would be played in a neutral ground. Mm. But I think they would try to use this as an opportunity to keep marketing the World Cup and try to play a game in Qatar in July, which is... Pretty much the reason why we're playing a World Cup in November, so that we wouldn't play games between some of the biggest teams in the world in Qatar in July. If they're going to do that, then they'll play it in Western Europe. But I don't think that they said they were going to play it outside Brazil. I think they just said it's going to take place. In a new and that the yeah, the outside Brazil got added on by some of the media because when I read the, the FIFA decision when it really? came out, and at least in I can't remember which language I read it in now, but. I don't think it did say outside Brazil. I think they've left it open. But I agree that the most sensible... Obviously, the most sensible thing to do is just to go, you're both qualified, nobody gives a toss, yeah. you're not going to play it. But if you're going to insist on playing it, then the most sensible time to do it is going to be a few days before or after Argentina-Italy at Wembley, and therefore a competitive, in inverted commas, Argentina, Brazil will be Argentina, because technically Brazil will be the home team, Somewhere in you know Western Europe or yeah, that would North be the America most. Uh, if they yeah. fly transatlantic between matches in, in a few days apart, but you know the ticket sales they could get. Yeah, probably they'd make more money from that than a World Cup final. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, and I think Argentina just used this opportunity to just go full shit house and try to you know get all these player, all these youth players on the pitch <laughs> to say you know they well, played a competitive match now they are cup tied. Yeah, yeah. So, and oh, that to just, would be quite good, actually. Yeah, that would be. Um, yeah, that would be a way of putting a positive spin on it, and also, of, you know, doing away with the um, the whole. Just it's it just very disappointing that it didn't go ahead because it was such a good chance to end Brazil's unbeaten home record in, in qualifiers. Yeah, and the, it's also a great chance for us to end our unbeaten record before mm. the World Cup. Which I I know there's a lot of people who wanted to end before the World Cup because they think it's. Uh, it's something of a of a bad bad omen, you know, to to be unbeaten for so many games before that. But I mean, look at Italy. Well, look what happened to Hungary in 1954. Well, look what happened to Italy. They won it anyway. What happened to Italy? They went uh, with an unbeaten streak. They became the the most uh, the team with the most games unbeaten ever, and they still won the Euros. There you go. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew they won the Euros, obviously. Because I'm English. But, the, um, the, I think the, the record, they have the record with the 38 games unbeaten. Oh, That's right. the one we have to, you know, overcome. Oh, yeah, no, them. I did know that. I, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Uh, on to listeners' questions. 
We've had one listener's question. <laughs> it's on the same subject we've been It's on about. the same subject, but I was about to say we've answered it already. Now I've read it, we haven't answered it already. Tom Robinson says, What with the trend of picking dual nationality Pibes for La Selección, how long until how long do we give it until Edwards Jr. is turning out for the Albi Celeste? Mm. I'm going to take the over on 18 years, given that he's two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see it happening in less than two decades. Unless, you know, he turns out to be a prodigy. But so, it's going to be a tough one. I've, I've, I would, say would, would you encourage him to play for England, Dan? I've been thinking about this since his birth, and probably even before. In just very pragmatic uh, terms, I think that if he turns out to be a very skillful number 10, light centre of gravity... He has to play for England in that case. has to play for England. He's going to be far more likely to earn a cap for starters. Yeah. If he turns out to be a six-foot-three... Um, Get everything out, brick shouts of a central defender or or holding midfielder. It's got to be Argentina. I think I'm, playing, <laughs> I'm gonna play the odds. Um, Good for you. He will go where either of his countries need him most. I'll say right now that Kelly Junior will never play for Argentina, and that's because they're never gonna be one. There you go. So there. I've, I've been told many times in the last 10 years that I'll change my mind one day but I'm 38 next month and I haven't changed my mind yet and nor is my, nor is my girlfriend so um, that's it those are all the listeners questions Sandy you sounded like you wanted to make a point then when Dan was talking no 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 no, no. Oh, okay. I, was, I was just uh, reacting to what Dan said super right <laughs> I think that's it we're going to record a Handapod extra now possibly without Andres because I think he has to get away early-ish it is quarter past nine um I don't know what we're going to record it on because we've just spent most of the last 25 minutes talking about what we said we were going to record the hand upon it on. So we'll, we'll oh, we're going to else. suggest the, the PBS subject, but Indeed, we yeah. have already talked about that. Might have just there wasn't an awful lot else to do a second half of the main podcast on, in fairness. Uh, so we'll work something out. But if you want to join in and get some extra content for a little bit of extra money, please go over to patreon.com slash handapod. We're going to do Mystic Sam, Sam? Or oh, we are going to do ah. Mystic Sam. You're quite right. Yeah, what else? <laughs> Okay, for the first time, I think this season, we actually have a round of matches beginning on a Friday and not on a Thursday, because today is Thursday. This person is my and the first match of this round that I'm about to read out takes place tomorrow evening. And it is Arsenal de Sarandi versus Beres Sarsfield. I think that Beres will win that one. Um, Platense versus Patronato is, I mean, a complete no-brainer, and it's obviously going to be a Platense victory. Um, on Saturday, Aldo Sibi take on Tigre. Tigre will win that. Huracan, I think, will beat Godoy Cruz in Parque Patricios. Rosario Central. Oh, Rosario Central, who played uh, Central Cordoba de Santiago del Estero last week, now have Barracas Central. They're playing two Clásicos Centralenses. <laughs> Just a week apart. Are there any left? Uh, there no, there aren't. Ah. At least not in the top flight. No. Unless um, you take Tacheres' old name, Tacheres de Centralia de Coro. No. Oh, I didn't know they were called that. I anyway, it was just anything instinctive. Anyway, Rosario Central are going to get a home win over Barracas Central. Sarmiento de Junín are going to lose at home to Newell's Old Boys. Tacheres versus San Lorenzo is a Tacheres win. 
Lanus versus Colon. Ooh, that should be a good match. I think Lanus are going to edge it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll stick with that. Union versus Banfield uh, is a draw. River versus Gimnasia is a River win. Estudiantes versus Boca. Huge clash in Group 2. Um, I'm going for an Estudiantes win, I think. It's, it's probably not going to be a pretty match, but it should be a very interesting one, I think. Atletico Tucumán versus Racing. The Clásico Eduard Sense um, is a Racing win. Okay. You'll be happy to hear because that. Because of your... Yeah, yeah. The average would seem is San Martín de Tucumán. Oh, really? Oh. Yes. Oh, in that oh. case, I apologise to... to uh, How dare you? Um, How dare you, sir? <laughs> but in that case, you'll be even less conflicted about the fact that I'm predicting a racing win. Absolutely. Argentinos versus Defensa y Justicia is going to finish 3-2 or 4-3, and it's going to do so in Defensa y Justicia's favour. And Independiente, I mean, if you can't beat Central Cordoba, who can you beat, Santi? Barraca Central, possibly. Patronato. But what I'm saying is that I think Independiente will win against Central Cordoba. I mean, they should. They are four position, five positions and <laughs> a whole point ahead of them in the Group 2 standings. So I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. Just a reminder that we are now more than a third of the way through these groups campaigns. Indeed. We've played five matches. There are 14 in total. So if we don't have a clear idea of how form is going to go by now... I think um, we've got this round and then the round of Clásicos, right? Uh, yes. The next yeah. weekend yeah. is indeed the Clásicos round, yes, which is just as well because if it was a week, well, if it was one week later, then it would be in the international week, which would be really awkward. Um, but also the week after that, uh, I'm not going to be watching things because at the end of this month, on the last day of this month, on the birthday of, who did I say was 18 years old on the last day of this month of the kids who've been called up? Keronik? Uh, Keronik, no. yeah. Tiago yeah. Keronik turns 19, in fact, on the 31st of March. And on the 31st of March, I'm flying to Patagonia. Wonderful. For a week. Yeah, flying, you, will, you will miss the, the match week in which VAR will supposedly be introduced. Oh, really? Actually, after, uh, the, the week after the Oh, classical. yeah, of course, yeah, around 8. Yeah, because it was originally supposed to be around 4, and they put it back, didn't they? To yeah. After the Super Classico, so that they can make sure that that finishes the way they want it to. <laughs> not that I'm a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm just taking the piss out of them, to be clear. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have some time. That does mean it's going to be quite awkward to record after the international break, which is slightly annoying, actually, but never mind. For now, thank you very much indeed for putting up with us in your ears for another hour or so, and goodbye from Sandy. See you around, guys. From Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English, down. Goodbye. And from me. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.